I'm joined today by Unmesh Brahmi, who is a Yale World Fellow, a founder of U Reciprocal Sustainability Group, and the co-founder of the Climate Civics Institute. And I'm speaking to him from, he's in Mumbai, I'm speaking to him from Buenos Aires, where I am. Unmesh, it's great to finally connect with you. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure, Olivia. So you worked with HSBC in, in India and in Mumbai for six years, and before that you were with Ogilvy and Mather. Um, can you talk about how you went about setting up the sustainability and CSR initiatives in India? Sure, Olivia. Uh, important questions. Glad to answer them. Uh, essentially, if you look at the way sustainability pans out uh, across the Indian corporate landscape, there are certain similarities vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, the American counterparts or European counterparts and certain distinctive differences which uh, uh, segregate the manner in which Indian corporations pursue CSR or sustainability. And let me begin by giving you an example out of my campaigns with Ogilvy and Mather, uh, the advertising agency, before moving on to uh, HSBC. Uh, today, if you go to a supermarket uh, in your part of the world, you will find people still uh, looking up on uh, for products which uh, try and sell themselves based on a cost proposition. Uh, which means that if you buy a particular brand, a percentage of the uh, profits would go towards supporting the cause. Uh, that's how the Western mindset would work still today in terms of uh, creating a preference for a product or a brand. Well, come back to India, these things would not work. The consumers here would want proof of uh, the pudding before actually buying the pudding. So essentially, uh, when I work with Ogilvy on a number of cause-related marketing and uh, CSR as well as social marketing communication campaigns, we had to essentially create impact in the stakeholder world, in the world of people who needed support before going to the consumers and saying that would you buy my product. And we did that quite successfully by actually creating uh, the country's first uh, cause-related marketing campaign on ground with uh, Castrol and I do know that the name today does not sound so good but yes, British Petroleum was my client, mm -hmm. BP was my client at the point of time. And we worked with uh, Castrol, who had been taken over by British Petroleum. Uh, we worked on a product on, on, on a campaign which went about educating uh, Castrol's uh, consumers, who were farmers, on uses of water uh, conservation, how effective water conservation can lead to effective irrigation, agriculture, uh, so on and so forth. And all of this was very important because farmers who formed the key constituency for Castrol as their customers were actually reeling under drought and intense water pressures. Uh, with this scenario, therefore, it was difficult for any brand in the tractor lubricant sector uh, where Castrol had a large presence and whose brands we were handling as an agency. Uh, it was very difficult for any brand to create any measurable sales outcome because farmers were not using their tractors, were not using their agricultural vehicles for lack of water because of lack of rainfall and lack of rainfall led to drought of course. Mm. So essentially the work which we did was actually creating outcome on the ground through Castrol's marketing uh, budgets to see how best we could help farmers conserve rainwater, uh, try and harvest it in an appropriate manner and use it for agriculture as well as drinking water purposes. On seeing this proof on ground there was a brand preference for Castrol and British Petroleum and we found out that even during lean seasons, even during drought periods, areas where Castrol had heavily invested in water harvesting and water conservation, those areas actually contributed the highest brand sales for Castrol. Now, this is what I meant 
by going away from the supermarket shelf mm-hmm. trying to do a campaign on the ground and then say that listen we have done this campaign on the ground would you buy my product that works well in the indian context and that in a way is also a commentary on the manner in which indian consumers while are fashion centric are mall centric are supermarket centric they would want to traditionally look at the impact first before trying to see how to really associate with the corporation or the brand in terms of its sustainability offering so i think that's the difference between the western way of looking at things and the way an indian consumer would look at things and that's that's really an interesting example and that's a very different notion of cause marketing than as you pointed out american consumers have or perhaps european consumers when it's very connected to what's going on in the supermarket and on the shelves and on the product labels yes and did you have to was it hard to get buy in from castrol and and from their executives or the people who were running that marketing budget um did you have to convince them of the merits of this type of approach oh yes it was uh, in fact uh, it takes me now down memory lane as i remember all those years wherein uh, we were one of the uh, differential uh, folks within ogilvy and mather who used to go along with the guys who used to market television ads and uh, print ads uh, and so on and so forth to castrol and we used to go and market to the same bunch of executives our differential way of doing things but i think what clinched the deal and which is where even uh, the way you present cost capitalism comes into the picture and i think it's very relevant that you indeed position it in such a manner is when we said to castrol listen what's your brand problem mm-hmm. so if television print outdoor advertising so on and so forth is trying to say to you that we will resolve your brand problem so do we so if you are saying that you have a problem in terms of brand saliency in drought affected areas work with us on a pilot wherein we will show you how to resolve that problem using a cost proposition mm. and castrol accepted a pilot with us and sought sought to their to their delight that uh, what we were doing turned out to be the greatest success compared to any television or print advertisement they were doing at that point of time specifically for the tractor lubricant category and this was uh, clearly the best logic castrol could follow working with a cost proposition primarily because uh, where their farmers are located in rural india the television penetration as well as the print uh, penetration is very poor and literacy levels being what they are nobody is going to read a newspaper or see a television ad to be able to develop affinity towards castrol the brand that had to happen through on ground activity which actually looked at people's lives uh, in the manner in which uh, solutions were found to their daily problems before trying to get them to be your customer mm. so i think this uphill struggle was indeed there but i think the the uniqueness was in the manner in which we could actually work on a real world problem and create a solution to that problem and i think that's where sustainability today needs to go and it does not seem to be heading that way people think of sustainability people think of csr as a do good factor as something to manage one's reputation mm-hmm. as something to help a new ceo or an existing ceo spend some time in the community or have some employees going to the community but it doesn't really look at how sustainability can help companies resolve problems in their scheme of things uh, within various stakeholder sets and i think that's where sustainability needs to go today mm-hmm. and do you think that how is it What's the best way to show companies this? Is it by by doing more of the work that you're doing, by talking about it like I I do on cause capitalism? Is it just leading by example or having these conversations 
because you're, you're absolutely right that it's, I think that there's still a sense that um, CSR is a, a moral obligation. It's something that comes with guilt. At best, it's a public relations strategy instead of really something that can drive solutions and innovation. Yeah, I agree with you. In fact, all of uh, what you just now mentioned are important uh, in the consolidated scheme of things in the sense that you need to have a bit of everything to be able to drive the fuller picture. But I think what is right now not being comprehended by large corporations is the fact that uh, to be able to really pursue uh, business objectives sustainably, they will need to really define not only the contours of their customer profiles, but also the additionalities which come with identifying stakeholders, identifying uh, government relations, identifying areas where uh, they can actually create a situation which will allow them to have the license to operate in an ethical manner. Mm -hmm. So business ethics is the key driver. And I think uh, it goes all the way back to management education. During mm -hmm. my time at Yale, during my time uh, even in Indian the management institutes, where I uh, often go and speak on uh, sustainability issues with students, I found that while uh, in US, uh, specifically at within Yale, uh, Harvard, uh, University of North Carolina, such universities have a great focus on sustainability in terms of trying to teach their managers the manner in which sustainability has to be built in into business operations. Uh, come back home, uh, management institutes in India are still trying to walk that path and it's, it's still a long way off. Uh, mm -hmm. I recently had uh, about 40 management graduates from India's top business schools sitting in front of me and I asked them a simple question that please define for me CSR and sustainability. And they were all over the place. So much mm -hmm. so that I wondered to myself, what did they learn in business school? Mm -hmm. uh, which is allowing them to answer this simple question. And uh, coming back to US business schools, while the business curriculum is teaching managers the real benefits of real sustainability, I'm not too sure how much allowed to practice the same when they get into their first job. In fact, if you look at the current uh, debate raging uh, over uh, BP and oilspill, mm -hmm. uh, what many observers are saying is that uh, CSR managers are also responsible for the BP crisis because they were the ones who were responsible for those glossy reports mm -hmm. in the first place. Mm -hmm. Well, I kind of tend to agree with that thinking, though I have my views in terms of how uh, CSR managers within corporations also uh, need to change their thinking on the manner in which they need to advise their management on going forward in a sustainable manner. Can you talk about that a little? Can you share some of the views about how you think that people who are CSR managers executive level can change their thinking? Uh, first and foremost, Olivia, I think uh, it is wrong uh, for any CSR or sustainability function to be localized or located inside a corporation within the corporate communication or for that matter within the corporate affairs team. You will see in many cases uh, CSR begins as an offshoot mm -hmm. of uh, the COPCOM function or the public affairs function or the human resources function in some cases mm -hmm. or in many cases uh, which is actually quite a rarity uh, it, it becomes uh, sometimes an independent entity by itself. I think the independence with which a sustainability team needs to exist within, the, within any organization today is more important uh, looking at how you have seen the role of CSR managers evolve. Because if you end up being part of an existing entity, you're not really able to define the DNA of the organization in terms of how to proceed on the sustainable path. Let me give you an example. 
today many financial institutions have sustainability managers who know how to look at clean tech climate change investing and moving forward how to drive sustainable profits for the concerned financial organization but you will not find these managers today heading almost a quasi strategic business unit uh, which has sustainability at the core of its portfolio these managers are still sitting inside various other allied teams and departments trying to make a sense of how to deal with so i think uh, localizing a sustainability function and a csr manager in the community investment scheme of things and in the employee volunteering scheme of things only uh, would not really yield results you really need to create the chief sustainability officer as a equal stakeholder in the top management of any corporation i don't see that happening much in india do i know across many us corporations you do see that trend wherein uh, a chief sustainability officer is as important as a chief financial officer or a chief it officer or a chief uh, executive officer mm-hmm. and do you think that we're going to see the elimination of a, a, a chief sustainability officer or a manager and that uh the idea of sustainability and the way that it's integrated into a company's dna and the different sets of the operation from its hr to its communications to its manufacturing and supplier relationships becomes um you know sustainability is ingrained in that so do you think that that will eventually eliminate the need for a sustainability executive or department it's an interesting question in fact i used to be of the opinion Uh, some months ago to be very honest with you that the real test of a true sustainable organization is elimination of the sustainability team mm-hmm. but i have come change that opinion uh, in the last few uh, weeks if you may of uh, constant thinking i think the role of uh, sustainability uh, resources will increase not decrease or get eliminated because people are people at the end of the day issues are issues and they are very complex uh in the manner in which they unfold mm-hmm. and you do not really have trained managers at all levels of any corporation any given point of time who are going to stand up and say that a social issue or a cause is more important than immediate profits mm-hmm. you require such whistleblowers you require people who are uh, always on the cutting edge between a commercial outlook and a community benefit and who know how to resolve the tricky balance in favor of both the community and the corporation so i would i would actually say now is the time when the role for sustainability professionals is going to grow by leaps and bounds because you require uh, people with uh, thinking which has both uh, the business outlook and the community larger good in mind to be able to drive uh, thinking across the organization left to their own these organizations if they do not have a sustainable resource would again fall back into complacency and silos so hr team will talk about human resource and talent the operation team will talk about operational efficiency so on and so forth you will get the dna spliced out of it in terms of sustainability thinking mm-hmm. so i think uh, well my my thoughts have changed over the last few weeks and i think uh, we need to have a sustainability resource inside organizations uh, need to give it the position of uh, pride and respect and influence it deserves that's one more point csr professions are really influential within the larger corporate hierarchy and they need to be to be able to drive change in a seriously meaningful manner so i have uh, i have my uh, in fact uh, i do believe that uh, the time is ripe for more sustainability professionals to bloom in this economy and i think it's really interesting i think it's very healthy for us to challenge our own assumptions and to really think about them and to to the point where they change was there anything in particular that 
help shift this opinion for you, or is it just um, the different thinking and experiences that you've had recently? Well, it's an ongoing experiences over the last so many years. I mean, I have been in this uh, field for over 19 years now. I have worked with uh, initially during my career uh, with Oxfam, a project supported by Ford Foundation and World Bank. So I have uh, I have had the complete immersion in terms of working with communities as well as various issues uh, across the Indian subcontinent uh, on, on, a, on a number of projects. Uh, moving on to advertising and marketing, there too my role has been to uh, influence behavioral change for social and environmental good through my campaigns which were mostly below the line advertising campaigns uh, on ground for a number of clients such as BP, USAID, uh, Johnson Controls. Uh, with these uh, uh, brands, my intention has been to uh, seriously socialize the brand at the community canvas level so that you can actually look towards creating a valuable change, uh, not only for the brands in terms of their affinity towards consumers, but also try to create a bottom of pyramid sense for corporations in terms of how they should look towards uh, the BOP as a profitable customer base. Mm -hmm. And moving on to HSBC, of course, uh, my uh, intention was to help HSBC grow from almost nothing six years ago uh, in terms of their uh, CSR activities to today looking at uh, a number of different verticals uh, through which they could manage uh, sustainability. I set up microfinance for HSBC. I have set up the climate change portfolio for HSBC. And today we are also looking at social enterprises. All put together, therefore, community investment and volunteering with which we started at HSBC is a tiny part of the entire gamut of activities which today the corporation is practicing. Mm -hmm. So I think uh, through all these experiences, what has happened uh, in terms of my thinking is, of course, yes, changing levels of thought, but basically it has, uh, in a way, vindicated the role of a sustainability professional. Because wherever I have been, I have realized that you need, you, you need to be a challenger to the set hierarchy of any organization's thinking to be able to travel down the sustainability path. And you will need people uh, like you who, who are doing such wonderful things to cause capitalism to be able to challenge the thinking which exists today and try and then create some en new energy which will try and see how one looks at uh, creating organizations uh, of the future which are more profitable, more healthy and more uh, inclusive in the manner in which they work with their consumers and stakeholders. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the things that I've been thinking about and writing about is, is how to take social responsibility further than cause marketing employee volunteer programs for companies. So what does the future of it look like? And you know, I've been reading and as I mentioned, I've written some posts on the idea of, of, of um, forming longer term partnerships with social enterprises in developing markets and I've been personally becoming more interested in the bottom of the period markets and developing emerging economies. So I want to ask you how, what, how companies can engage in this and also what they should be, um, what are some of the red flags they should look out for. But before that, I also want to bring up a question and I'd love your thoughts on, I read another article that the question whether Western companies' involvement in developing economies and that type of social entrepreneurship was just a modern form of colonialization. 
you know, do, mm -hmm. do Western companies, do these multinationals know really what's, what's best coming in and trying to set up these programs? So I, I just put a, a lot of material out there, but I'd love some of your thoughts on it. Well, it's an interesting question. And uh, in some cases, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, actually easy to believe that uh, multinational corporations would be uh, practicing a form of colonialism in terms of uh, implementing CSR activities on ground in countries like India. Uh, but I think the issues are more complex. Uh, at one level, uh, yes, uh, if you are a foreign corporation, you will have your course of conduct which will try and transplant into uh, any country in which you have an operation. So essentially, uh, that will create a scenario uh, which uh, many a times will not be culturally suitable uh, to the ethos uh, of the community or the stakeholders with whom you are working. Uh, but I think uh, if you look at the manner in which many uh, large corporations today are actually setting up, setting up their sustainability practices uh, in countries like India, mm -hmm. I think they are trying to significantly enhance their ethical outlook. Gone are the times wherein uh, you could actually come to India, set up a uh, set up a gas plant like Union Carbide, uh, be responsible for all the environmental pollution, and go away scot free. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think the Bhopal gas tragedy still today is one of the worst environmental uh, tragedies which have happened mm -hmm. in India. And essentially, uh, it is indeed uh, disheartening to see. Uh, that till today we have no resolution to the issues of uh, how many uh, uh, many uh, people suffered because of the environmental tragedy. So today I think that's not something which uh, will be easily tolerated. There is much awareness uh, in terms of uh, people realizing uh, environmental and social uh, pluses and minuses of any company's operations uh, in uh, in any any scheme of things. Uh, take the case of mining. Today, Indian consumer is much more aware of the fact that uh, mining does create environmental harm. And you see many mining corporations today having to uh, really tread carefully in terms of expanding their business uh, in India. So I think uh, while economic colonialism through CSR uh, has happened historically, uh, less of that is what I see today uh, primarily because of uh, growing awareness and growing spread of uh, information. Of course, internet being one of the most dynamic medium to do so. And therefore, uh, I don't see uh, much of uh, uproar happening in terms of uh, companies really uh, creating a colonial approach uh, to the way they do things in the area of CSR. But yes, having said so, you'll still have uh, variants, you will still have uh, corporations who would believe that putting out uh, a glossy 10-page or 40-page report on CSR is all that it takes to really uh, work on sustainability issues. And I see these uh, glossy reports as a newer way of colonizing mm. because uh, working in the area of advertising and marketing, uh, one has, of course, learned that words can create powerful uh, words and images, can create powerful positioning ideas. And if you position a particular company's report as really uh, sustainable, uh, it's very easy to believe that that company is also very sustainable. The, the reality may not be true. So, uh, yes, uh, colonizing uh, in terms of uh, communication and wrong communication is something which I see very often today. But yes, uh, on ground, uh, actual oppressive uh, functioning of a corporation 
is something which has uh, dramatically reduced over the past many years. So I, I know that it's a really the, the idea of international development and the way that that's carried out is very complex. Um, but you, you believe overall that companies should be looking for business opportunities in emerging economies, right? Is that yes? Okay, and then are there how are some ways some beyond trying to be ethical and aware, how can companies begin to do this? Is it looking to partner with local NGOs, local branches of the government? Is it looking to get involved with other organizations uh, like you know the Acumen Fund or Ashoka that really support social entrepreneurs? I think all these approaches are valid. Uh, essentially, yes, there is fortune at the bottom of the pyramid. Uh, there is a need to actually serve uh, consumers uh, beyond uh, what we are doing today as companies and corporations because uh, in the final analysis uh, if you are serving uh, consumers uh, at the bottom of pyramid you are actually trying to see how to lift them out of poverty mm -hmm. how to give them access to goods and services which you and me are taking for granted because we get them delivered to our doorstep because we stay in urban areas but I think where uh, corporations are missing the plot mm -hmm. is in terms of trying to understand that a bottom of pyramid market would not yield any outcome in terms of sustained profits if you don't look at creating purchasing power on the ground. Mm -hmm. If you look at the story of India's poverty, uh, statistics will tell you that it has reduced over the years. But in absolute terms, you do not see any change. Take the slums of Mumbai or uh, the victimization of tribals in far-flung forest areas. Mm -hmm. You will see that same stories repeat itself. I find it very hard to believe that uh, 60 years into independence and Mumbai still has the world's largest slum population. Or maybe the second or third largest. I'm not too sure what is our ranking in that. But wasn't it, uh, is it so difficult in 60 years to look at a holistic development of the city in a sustainable manner and try and see to it that less and less people stay in slums and more and more stay in affordable effective housing so if you look at the bottom of pyramid uh, population in a city like mumbai i don't think much efforts have been made to understand how to really create change for consumer groups living in slums by actually working on their social needs mm -hmm. i think that's where the problem is today marketeers are going to far-flung populations and selling them a shampoo sachet because it's affordable but one is not really seeing whether these consumers who are at the bottom of uh, the poverty pyramid have access mm -hmm. to income generating opportunities to be able to buy these products and services. And I think as long as we do that by working on projects uh, which look at creating livelihood opportunities, any marketeer who looks upon bottom of pyramid market as a mere market is actually exploiting the very consumers uh, to whom uh, the production services are supposed to reach and make a meaningful difference. Mm -hmm. Take the case of uh, microfinance. Today, microfinance is lifting people out of poverty through small loans, uh, allowing them to either uh, run their household uh, uh, in an effective manner or even uh, look at starting small enterprises. But going forward, if you look at whether even microfinance will be able to sustain itself, is all dependent on whether the family who are seeking today small loans are able to continue in their livelihood generation uh, of a, mm -hmm. uh, you will see that uh, purchasing power is not there 
And if you don't have purchasing power, you will essentially would not have disposable income to buy any product or service which a marketeer is offering to the BOP communities. I'm really glad that you mentioned the the point that if you're just looking to market to these communities that it can be very exploitative. Um, how can, do you think it's possible for larger companies, and, and again, I'm, I'm just, let's go with these multinational corporations, to provide those type of really critical base services to these, you know, to the slum of Mumbai, or is that the role of NGOs and maybe non-profit social enterprises in the government? Is that, some, is that a problem, a market that companies can tackle? I'm sure they can because in any case today, if you really have to work on a complex issue, for example, the slums of Mumbai, you do require to do it through public-private partnerships. Mm -hmm. uh, there is no other solution, at least which I see in sight. And when you mean public-private partnerships, you are actually trying to establish collaboration with uh, not-for-profits and the government. I think the nexus has to be such that uh, working uh, in a convergent manner, you are really able to change uh, small areas to begin with and then the f face of the entire issue. Uh, in, a, in, a, in a city like Mumbai, where slums is a major issue, 60% of the population still today lives in slums. Uh, now, corporations can play a major role because they are the ones who are also, in addition to uh, public sector undertakings, uh, having a, a basket of products and services uh, which can deal with issues of health, sanitation, uh, affordable education, uh, housing, you name it. Uh, there are products and services which today corporations have in place to be able to create a sea change, at least to tackle the slum scenario in a city like Mumbai. But we don't see that happening. I don't see any project which says that, listen, uh, here is a slum pocket, which is about 20,000 families. Mm -hmm. With these 20,000 families, here is a corporation, here is a government entity, and here is a not for profit. Together, we are creating change by delivering impact on ground. It, it sounds very simple, but I think uh, I'm not so sure why people don't look at simple solutions. We have so many reports on slums in Mumbai. We have so many reports on uh, destruction of India's forest. We have so many reports on uh, water as an issue in a country like India uh, becoming, uh, I mean, it's becoming more stressful as we speak, the entire water scenario in the country. But you don't see an example which is driving home the benefits of collaborating uh, on a public-private partnership platform uh, in these areas. And I think until this happens, uh, it's very little which one would see in terms of uh, change, in terms of corporations changing their mindset towards uh, issues on ground, and in terms of people changing their viewpoints on corporations. Do you think that it's the responsibility of any company who's working in that area, or do you think it's the responsibility of um, in, in national Indian companies versus foreign companies? Well, anybody who uh, understands that if they tackle uh, such issues, there is going to be a real fortune uh, going forward in terms of ethical profitability uh, should be the company who should be picking up the gauntlet and trying to make an impact. Mm -hmm. It does not really matter where they come from. It could also be an overseas company who wants to crack the housing market in India, for example. And I think uh, that's where uh, social enterprises and uh, working with communities at uh, bottom of pyramid uh, levels started. The thinking was in the right direction. Uh, companies came into picture to be able to create uh, low-cost products and services which were suitable for the masses uh, at the BOP level. But I think somewhere along the line, uh, the profit motive uh, is uh, seen as more uh, urgent and more uh, important 
than uh, than the ethical aspect of ensuring that people really need the products and services which the marketers are uh, offering to them or which the manufacturers are providing for them. Do you think that that, I, I wonder, I feel like that could be increasingly more of a problem as these markets are flooded with, you know, being marketed to with products not, they don't necessarily need. And I know you raised the issue of, of purchasing power, but do you think that that could be kind of the next wave of, of instead of cause washing, it's this kind of penetration of the bottom of the pyramid markets in a less than ethical way? I think yes. Uh, I would I would uh, advise all corporations uh, as well as small social enterprises who are trying to penetrate uh, BOP markets to first look at what is the social environmental need matrix for that particular community or that particular geography. And I think go about systematically investing in meeting those infrastructural needs before trying to market a product. Mm -hmm. uh, in the areas of, for example, let's say uh, companies who are working on water filtration. Uh, for such companies, they are actually directly tackling the issue because you are going to an area which has a water problem, so you are setting up a water filtration plant. Uh, but here again, while you are resolving a social or environmental issue through your product, you are again uh, getting into the same trap of not figuring out whether over a sustained period of time, uh, the community will be able to buy uh, the water which is coming out of this filtration plants. Mm -hmm. So you need models which look at community ownership, you need models which look at ensuring that the entire uh, employability profile of the area uh, is uh, looked into, uh, is uh, somehow put onto the blueprint uh, stage and then you look at seeing how you can market to these masses uh, your products and services because at the end of the day uh, you are going to have an unrest uh, going forward if the same people to whom you are marketing today are unable to buy your products tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the day, your investors are going to question you. At the end of the day, you would have no way to try and expand your market share. And of course, the customers, since they are anyways in a fickle economic situation, are always going to go in and out of your product portfolio. Mm -hmm. So I think looking at all these things, it makes sense uh, to actually look at creating a convergent solution on ground. I know, Olivia, this is a this is a longish kind of an approach, but I don't see any other approach mm -hmm. uh, because uh, imagine today we are faced with a scenario wherein uh, a poor person sitting in a far-flung village in India is being approached by people who manufacture soaps, shampoos, uh, agricultural implements, uh, microfinance loans, and suddenly uh, now there is a new wave of clean energy. So the same person is also approached by a guy who says that, would you buy my solar torch? But where is the money? How do you create those constant flows, mm -hmm. uh, specifically for a country like India, where uh, majority of the population still today is involved in agricultural operations, which in turn are only sustained by uh, seasonal rains, which uh, are again very, uh, very fluctuating in the manner in which we today see weather patterns emerging. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting, and there are so many forces you know, at, at work here, um, is there, I can see how it's, it's a complex issue and it's quite daunting for a company to figure out how to begin this process. Or do you have any thoughts about what are some of the first steps a company who's interested in, in an ethical fashion supporting these emerging economies should look to do? Uh, yes, uh, as we go about uh, setting up uh, any business, uh, 
we essentially look at uh, the consumer profile, the market demographics, uh, where should the product be launched, mm-hmm. what could be the nature of uh, the consumers or, or, or the level of uh, yeah, the level of income which we are targeting to be able to make consumers afford our product. I think all of this we need to actually build in a, a social and environmental uh, format, if you will, mm-hmm. of how this particular region has coped with uh, social and environmental issues over a period of time. Uh, what is the level of uh, environmental and social acumen which needs to be uh, looked at in terms of approaching uh, existing or new consumer groups uh, to be able to make them uh, your sustained customers. Uh, very quickly, I'm going to say on this particular thought that this particular thinking has been implemented before, but only from the risk perspective. Hmm. Corporations getting into a country to start new business would look at socio-political risk and therefore have risk covenants in place to ensure that the business does not get affected. Corporations from India looking to enter a new geography or new territory will again look along similar lines of risk and they will have a risk vision in front of them while trying to deliver change uh, or, or a product or a process on the ground. Banks traditionally have always looked at risk because that's how uh, they need to set in place uh, risk covenants and risk mitigation measures so that uh, their money is safe. I'm not looking at uh, risk as uh, the driver of what I have been stating in the last few minutes. Mm-hmm. What I have been saying is you've always looked at issues of people as risk. I'm asking you to look at issues of people as a need-based scenario wherein you can create change. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to take risk out of the equation. It's not only the job of the government to maintain law and order, it's the job of the corporations and social enterprises and not-for-profits to work together to be able to create uh, livelihood uh, opportunities for people in far-flung areas, uh, to create uh, educational platforms uh, for them to be able to understand what happens in the world around them, and generally create employability which delivers uh, food on the table. Uh, don't think uh, we can actually delink any of these from uh, what we see today happening across the world in the, in terms of the social and environmental upheavals. Is there an example of a, a company that's done this very well and you, uh, that you could share either in India or elsewhere in the world? Well, not offhand. Uh, one does read about uh, a smattering uh, of examples here and there but I have not uh, come across uh, a path which uh, uh, any company follows uh, basis what we just discussed. And yes, of course, uh, from the Indian context, the Tata Group name does come to mind. Uh, and I think that's one example which uh, is here to stay in terms of how a corporation really drives business uh, basis uh, ethical values. But I think there too, uh, much work is required in terms of ensuring that uh, the momentum with which the Tata Group has created uh, economic behemoth in the country mm-hmm. uh, and uh, is also parallelly working or simultaneously working on creating social change. Both these uh, aspects need to continue uh, into posterity. They need to continue in a sustainable manner. You see today some Tata Group companies uh, faltering a bit here and there on their CSR commitments, on their sustainability commitments. And I think. Uh, that's where you have a role for sustainability professionals to try and uh, bring them back on track to try and see how best uh, you are able to create a combined approach for positive change and positive profits. Can you share briefly what, what the Tata Group is for people who might not be as familiar? And my knowledge is limited. Uh, well, uh, mm-hmm. India's largest business group uh, recently uh, 
very well known for its uh, purchase of the Jaguar car company and the Jaguar brand. Uh, it's, a, it's a corporation with presence across uh, all business verticals and business streams from chemicals to automobiles to telephones to mobile telephony uh, to tea, uh, commodities, uh, finance, so on and so forth. But again, if you asked me, Olivia, that across all these companies, can you uh, hold a hand over your heart and say that all these uh, various companies in the Tata Group today are really practicing sustainability? I am not so sure. Mm -hmm. I am not mm -hmm. so sure they wake up Monday morning discussing poverty as an issue mm -hmm. and then discuss profit as a way to address that issue. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. So, so Anmash, before we finish, I'd love to hear you recently, very recently, in the last week or two, left HSBC to focus full-time on the Climate Civics Institute, which grew out of your right. Yale World Fellowship. Could you talk to us a little bit about your work with the Institute and what you're hoping to accomplish? Yes. Uh, in fact, uh, last fall, uh, I spent uh, my time at Yale as a World Fellow, uh, which is an a extremely riveting transformational program for uh, leaders across the world who come to Yale during the fall semester to learn newer ideas, to reinforce uh, either existing or newer ways of doing things, and to basically collaborate with Yale faculty and students on a number of uh, ideals uh, to ensure that uh, we are able to continue to make a serious commitment to inquiry, uh, change uh, the way in which uh, academics works uh, with various stakeholders in terms of education, so on and so forth. So, yes, my time at Yale was extremely fruitful in that I could work with uh, many of the Yale stakeholders I just mentioned, as well as my uh, fellow fellows from the cohort of 2009 to uh, create uh, situations and scenarios where there could be possibilities of either doing an idea dialogue or idea exchange or actually working on live projects. One of these live projects is has been the creation of the Climate Civics Institute. Uh, I have been uh, researching the field of climate change uh, for the past uh, many years now. Uh, I have also created, as I said, a climate change portfolio of projects for HSBC. And uh, my focus on water as an issue uh, leads me very close to trying to understand uh, climate change uh, and the manner in which it affects water availability across regions and communities at the bottom of the pyramid. What I realized during my research and my work, even with Yale, is the inability of uh, today's climate change practitioners to really uh, work more on the adaptation perspective uh, in terms of climate change work. You see a lot of work happening in the area of solar, in the area of uh, renewables, in the area of energy efficiency, in the area of green buildings. These are all mitigation ideas. These are all mitigation platforms wherein you mitigate the effects of climate change by contributing a lower carbon footprint to the broader economy. But when you actually look at people today at the bottom of the pyramid who are suffering because of existing carbon dioxide in the air and who are suffering because of rising temperatures in inclement weather, there is no policy think tank or there is no adaptation mechanism for such communities to be able to make their voices heard at the global level. So when we combine the word climate and civics together, you are actually looking at creating voice for the majority at the policy and research level to be able to talk about the current woes in terms of, uh, if I may use the term, climate disenfranchisement, 
So that's what's mm-hmm. happening mm-hmm. for companies around the world who have no access to formal debates on climate change and the manner in which uh, the sharing of roles and responses has to happen across nations uh, and across stakeholders in terms of reducing climate change. So the Climate Civics Institute is something which uh, got seeded as an idea, a thought process, and now an institution uh, through the support of uh, the Yale World Fellows Program. Uh, and it's, it's something now which is getting established uh, as we speak in India and Australia, uh, from where we will be then launching uh, the various research uh, projects I just mentioned about in terms of trying to find out what is it that really is happening on ground in terms of communities today suffering from after effects of climate change, be it water, be it agriculture, mm-hmm. be it uh, lack of resources in terms of food resources, uh, new health uh, uh, issues coming up because of change in weather. We would like to bring all the issues uh, to the fore and create a debate around it to be able to influence global policy. So that what that's what Climate Civic Institute plans to do, and that's what will keep me busy for the next few, few, few uh, months at least. That's a really interesting idea and and system, and my, I think it raises an interesting question about the the effects of climate change that people are experiencing and the effects of climate change that we read about. I mean, there's there's I think at least two dimensions to climate change. There's a more educational effort, um, the educational component where there's a you know, an academic understanding of what's going on and then there's the the perspective that we feel when um, you know our our beaches are disappearing because of the rising tides and the other issues that you mentioned. And so I think that's a it's a really interesting way to kind of to close the loop because I think so much of the discussion is focused more on research and a more theoretical or academic perspective rather than what's yeah. happening to people. Right. So is there anything else that you wanted to mention before we uh, wrap up today? Well, yes. Uh, I, I believe we require more people to walk along uh, the path of uh, what I call converging sustainability scenarios because uh, today we have even the field of sustainability uh, turning into a field of specialized silos. And uh, essentially, if you look at uh, how top managements of corporations today uh, react or even build their own knowledge on sustainability issues, it's very fragmented and it's fearfully fragmented. In fact, uh, one more initiative where uh, I am presently concentrating on is actually uh, creating a sustainability advisory for top management uh, of corporations, both across large corporations as well as uh, small micro and medium enterprises because uh, even today, despite so much literature uh, being there uh, out in, 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 in the open, uh, management of corporations are still at sixes and sevens in terms of trying to really distill uh, sustainability way forward. Many of them are victims to reporting and I think that's something <laughs> which is uh, very funny because uh, a report is supposed to actually make you more uh, nimble-footed in the manner in which you tackle sustainability issues. But somehow I find many times corporations spending more time on writing reports than doing real work. Hmm. And of course, what you can't do as real work actually comes as a footnote that, sorry, you know, you're being transparent to your stakeholders, so this year you could not achieve much. I don't think that's the way to move forward. I think the way to move forward is look at simple benchmarks, look at real issues. I will ask a question by reducing slums. Uh, very keen to look upon a global indicator of achieving sustainability because that does come out in brochures and glossy printouts. 
But you look at real problems. Are you able to provide uh, employability to 400 youth uh, in one year? Yes, that's an impact which a corporation has created. And we need a new scale for measuring this impact. And we need a new way of uh, convincing sustainability managers and uh, CEOs that this is how they, they need to practice their sustainability. So I'm trying to see how best I can pull resources around the world together who are thinking along these lines. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had, uh, I've been blessed to meet so many wonderful people around the world who uh, believe in the same ideals and thoughts that I do. Uh, the idea is to bring them all together on the singular platform to influence uh, this clear line of thinking on sustainability for top corporations and even small micro enterprises. So that's something which I'll be uh, keen to uh, execute and launch in the next few months as well. And of course, the Climate Civics Institute both uh, will keep me busy. And that's but otherwise, the, yes. That's the U reciprocal uh, sustainability group? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, as I said to you during our initial conversation, there are a few other ideas which are on the boil right now, but I think I'll have to see which one of them has the most chance of uh, making it to the next level and you will see them uh, getting launched uh, on an ongoing basis. Wonderful. It's so interesting to talk with you. I mean, your combined background of, of, of very corporate environments and then working in microfinance and in deep community development and with the World Bank and Oxfam and then this academic component through Yale, it's, uh, you just have a really richness of perspectives and I enjoy speaking with someone, um, again, who can share their experiences that are that extend beyond the United States. So, Unmesh, thank you. Oliver, thank you so much. It is indeed a pleasure talking to you today. For more interviews about cause capitalism, visit causecapitalism.com.